You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Uh, we are in the middle of a series, as Louis said, called Left and Right Jesus in a Political Age. You guys have been wandering through a bunch of different issues that can be potentially divisive, but ultimately in which Jesus is good news. And today I win the prize of opening up free speech with you. Uh, coming from Queensland, I had to do some research because it turns out Victoria is another country uh, when it comes to free speech and laws. Uh, I spent my plane flight down reading new legislation that you have to navigate. And so I want to just acknowledge that there's a level of ignorance that I bring in that I'm not living the day-to-day experience that you are. But the good news is it's not my opinion you're here for, it's God's word. Uh, and so I'm going to pray uh, and then we're going to walk into this space trusting that God has not just, you know, helpful to make it something we can survive, but has a call for us that we might walk in all that he has purchased for us in Jesus. So let's pray and ask him to do that work and call us forward in it. Uh, Father God, we know that you are a God who speaks, you are a God who reveals himself, and that's what we need more than anything else. Uh, No matter of law or issue or what we might be trying to understand, ultimately at the center, the foundation of all of it is Jesus on the throne. And so uh, we need your help. We need your spirit to open our eyes in your word to see Jesus clearly. And I pray that right now you would excite us for what it looks like to use our speech for your glory and for our joy. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, I grew up as one of five kids. Uh, My parents were crazy. Four of us were consecutive years born. So they had four under four in the early days there. Uh, And if you've ever been on a road trip with a bunch of siblings, you know that there's some serious rules about boundaries. Uh, We'd pack, uh, eventually there was five of us into the back of my parents' Pajero. Um, You know, every square millimeter was absolutely like vital as to who owned that. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen this, maybe you've even been this person in a family outing where you kind of, you're annoying your sibling and, and as your parents start to like kind of try and figure out who the problem is so that they can discipline them, you work out how you can operate within your rights and entitlements, but still annoy your sibling. And so I'll be sitting in the car next to my brother or my sister, didn't really matter, whoever I had there ready to annoy. Uh, and so I'm like, these are my lines. If I'm within these lines, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. You've just got to live with it. That's your space over there. And so I'll start like shuffling my arms and throwing them. I'm not doing, I'm within my space. I don't understand why you would be complaining about this. And then they figure out they can start getting revenge. And so they start moving their legs within their space. So there's, and they have absolute freedom within their area to do that thing. But inevitably what happens at some point, my arm waving slightly crosses the boundary. It might be this much. It might be that much. But as soon as that boundary is crossed, their leg crosses the boundary as well. And it's all out war. That's a picture of trying to work out what free speech looks like. In, in principle, it sounds like such an honorable and helpful idea that I should have the freedom to say what I think and what I believe. But the problem is when different people exercise that freedom, at some point, those two freedoms come into contact and that's when it blows up. Christians particularly have this reputation for only reaching for this entitlement of free speech in situations where that free speech seems to cause serious trauma or issue for others. 
And so there's this understandable kind of reluctance from the culture that we live in, from the political conversations that we're in, to actually allow for a genuine freedom of speech where people can articulate what they believe, what they follow, what matters to them. If you think back to examples, April 2019, Israel Folau tweets out a paraphrase of a verse in 1 Corinthians 6 and gets sacked from his secular job as a sports person. Now, again, we're not arguing for whether or not he did something good or right. We're arguing, did he do something that was okay, that, that he has a freedom to do? Should he be allowed to post a verse, whether it's in context or not, as somebody who claims to follow Jesus in some form. If you fast forward another 12 months, the author of the Harry Potter series, J.K. Rowling, makes a statement about what a woman is and is immediately cancelled by everyone from the actors that were made famous from her very works to every activist uh, arguing for a shift in gender theory and other things. The, The adage that we all grew up with of sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me has been shown to be an empty one in our culture. In fact, there is a a commentator uh, called Carl Truman who described our current moment like this. He says, once harm and oppression are regarded as being primarily psychological categories, freedom of speech then becomes part of the problem, not the solution, because words become potential weapons. So now the issue is not a culture where people are swinging arms and legs. The issue is what comes out of your mouth and how that impacts the person that somehow interacts with your sphere. And in a context where you can post anything on social media where anyone can see, your sphere has gotten bigger and so the overlap has got bigger and so the potential for explosion has gotten bigger. It is clear that in our context, in our world, in this particular point in time, speech is significant because it's powerful. Speech matters and the way that we use it matters. And the good news for us as as those who follow Jesus, those who come to open the word, is that this isn't new for us. That the Bible was way ahead of the curve. It didn't need Carl Truman to tell it that speech was significant. In fact, in the passage that was just read out for us in James 3, uh, God makes it clear that the tongue and the way that we use our words matters because it has the power to turn the very life. That like a spark that starts a fire, the movement of the tongue shifts the heart. It it reflects what's going on deep inside. And so as Christians, we come to this conversation not being forced here by other people telling us that we should think about how we speak. We come here because God is already calling us to be people who speak in a way that recognizes the significant potential for harm, but also for good and for his glory when we open our mouths. Biblically, words have always been a big deal. If you open the Bible at the very beginning, what does God do? He speaks. There is nothing and using words, God creates. Creation itself is an expression of God's speech. Speech is constructive and creative in the way that God exercises it. As God moves through the story and he gathers this nation Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he takes them through the Red Sea. And what does he do to make them his? He gives them his words. The Ten Commandments or the Ten Words are given by God to help them understand who he is and what it means for them to be his. Throughout Scripture, the prophets time and time again, what do they do? They speak 
the words of God so that God might be known. Speech serves a significant function in the work that God is doing in the world. It shouldn't shock us then that as his people further down the line, speech will serve a significant purpose among the people of God and in the mission of God. Like this should almost have been front and center at the beginning of this series, aside from the fact that we needed to arrange a week that I could come down later on. <laughs> speech works its way through every other issue that you guys have looked at throughout this series. How you speak about it is what matters. No one cares what you think about transgender rights until you say it out loud. The way that you speak about these things is where your impact comes to the people that are in your life and around you. And then as we get through Scripture, we come to Jesus in the New Testament, right at the beginning of John's Gospel. What does he say? He says, I am the Word. He is this revelation of God the Father. Words are significant in the work that God has done and is doing in the world. And so it shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't shock you, City on a Hill Surf Coast, that words are central to your life together as a community. If you have a look in Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16, how is the body built up? As the body speaks the truth in love. That, that's the, the, the weapon, the tool that God has given you is speech of truth. That is how you encourage one another. That is how you spur one and along. If you open 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, what does God say to this new gathered community, the church? He says that, that you have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light that you may proclaim that excellent work, that you may speak of the grace that you've received, that you might actually declare to the world around you that there is a God who rescues out of darkness and brings into marvelous light. Speech is core to what it means to be the people of the God who speaks. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're told by Paul that having been reconciled to God, that is having been purchased by the blood of Jesus, having been brought from death to life and given this new kingdom purpose, what, what do we now get? We're entrusted with the message of reconciliation, a message that is to be spoken, telling the world that does not yet know that the God who rules, who creates, invites them back even though they don't deserve it. Speech is core to who we are. Before we worry about whether or not we're allowed to do it, whether or not it's legal or free, you're calling, if you are a follower of God, if you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, is to speak the truth among God's people that we might grow and to speak the message to those outside of God's people that there is life on offer in Jesus. This is not negotiable before we even get to the law fundamental to your identity is that on behalf of the God who has spoken, you are now his mouthpiece. You are his ambassadors. He is making his appeal through you. That's what the gospel has done. It has changed your identity and God is now working in you. And that's where the tension is. As those entrusted with the message of the gospel, that message, once upon a time was quaint, now is ignorant according to the world, foolish according to the world, offensive or even malicious according to the world. I mean, again, I was reading some of your new laws this week and I found out that you are not allowed, this is my unqualified non-lawyer interpretation, but you are not allowed to tell somebody 
who is living in sin in a way contrary to scripture, that there is a brokenness to that behavior. You are not allowed to say to somebody who is living in a way that is in direct contradiction with what God's word says, if you were to say to them, you are broken and you need to change that, you need to flee from that desire, you could go to jail apparently. That's an issue because fundamentally what the gospel story says is that God created and it was good and then we rebelled and rejected and then now it is broken. It's core to the message of the gospel that there is brokenness in the world. The message that's been entrusted to you. Now, I want to just quickly say it's possible to say that message in a way that is unloving and malicious and harmful and bad, but we can't flee from the message that we've been given. We can't flee from the work that's been done. We can't just forget that, hey, that that was us except for the grace of God to us in Jesus. It's the message that's been given. It's non-negotiable and And the gospel message that God has created, we are broken, and the only hope we find is in the redemption of Jesus, is not up for revision. It's not something that anyone else has the power to tell us to change or water down or adjust. In fact, in Matthew 12, there's this scary passage where Jesus basically explains how you will know who the true believers are, and he says this, 12.33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's a pretty elevated view of speech, don't you think? That's a pretty intimidating. Forget about your whole life or what's ahead. Just think about this morning. Having to answer to God for every word that came out of your mouth this morning. That's what the passage says is going to happen. It says you'll be justified or not by your speech. Now, that's not him saying there's correct words you need to tick off. The point is your speech is a reflection of your heart. That's why it matters. And that's going to lead us to the answer a little bit later on as we get there. That w- The point here is not to give you a script. This is how you're going to go and speak freely and in a way that won't get you arrested. That's not the goal. The point is that we have to actually look at the heart if we want to have speech that reflects the purpose that God gave it. If we actually want to be the people who carry the message of reconciliation that we received at some point as we were called into relationship with Jesus. It's like the message of the apostles when they're arrested time after time in the book of Acts. Newsflash, the opposition that you and I face now is not new. It's not fresh. It's not novel. It was there at the beginning. And what happens to them? They get arrested. They get hauled in. They get beaten. They get tortured. They get told to stop preaching. And how do they respond? You decide whether it's right for you to do it, but we're going to obey God. You you can choose to obey men, but we will obey God. This is not up for grabs for us. We know what Jesus said. We know that we will answer for every word, and so we will answer saying we have been faithful. We will hold the message that has been entrusted to us. And so just as we try and get into the practical space, I want to warn you about what I think are the two dangers for us in this space. The first danger when it comes to free speech as a Christian, particularly in your context here, is that you disobey God with silence and with truth denial. So you just don't speak because it's easier. 
You just don't say what you believe. You just don't say what the gospel says, or you take the little bits of the gospel that are offensive and try and hide them down the back or in the appendix, or you try and adjust them just enough that you can get away with it. And so instead of saying you're broken, just go, yeah, it's a bit sad that, you know, that's the way you operate. That's disobedience. We don't get to sit over scripture and tell it how to be appropriate or how to be non-offensive. We don't get to go to the gospel and say we're going to change it. Hey, I just want to caveat here. If it really starts running your run to your cars, I won't be offended and I'll just take a couple of steps back. <laughs> but loving your faithfulness to this point and we'll love your faithfulness if you go to the car. That's also faithful. <laughs> First danger is disobedience where we just go to silence. We just avoid the problem altogether by just kind of fleeing from the message. The second danger for us and dare I say it, this might have been the issue for someone like Israel Fallout, is that we disobey God by speaking the truth in a way that doesn't love somebody and is unnecessarily offensive. See, the risk is that we go, all right, I've got to be correct with the message, and so we just start dumping out all the verses about going to hell in a way that's technically correct but not reflective of the gospel that we've heard. The gospel says that the world is broken, that we have rejected God, that we've kind of put ourselves in the position where we can choose our own adventure. But it also says that despite that, God in his great mercy sent Christ to take the punishment for us. To hold out that you are evil or that you are going to hell without saying, but in Christ there is a solution, there is an offer that God deals with and meets you in your brokenness and welcomes you despite all of that and loves you unconditionally is less than the gospel. And so there is a risk for us that in this moment where it feels like us and them, we double down on truth at the expense of genuine love. And now I want to grant that you don't always get to have that whole conversation. They'll be like, I don't care about Jesus. Just tell me, am I going to hell? And that's difficult. I get that. It's not simple. But as a principle that we carry, the message that we've been given is the whole gospel that we have all rebelled against Christ and only by the blood of Jesus is forgiveness found. And so we preach that hope that is offered in his name. The purpose of what Jesus did on the cross for you was not to create fences that you could stay inside, was to not make you live a life where you'd nervously tread around hoping you didn't do the wrong thing, whether that was breaking freedom of speech laws or breaking commands that God had given you. Jesus came that you might have life and have it to the full. Following him should not be this tentative version of trying to navigate life. We are called into a fullness, a boldness that runs forward. It's not offenses. It's a proactive pursuit of God's glory. That's what you've been invited into. Before Jesus, on your best day, all you were was offensive to him. And because of Jesus, you are a precious son or daughter empowered by the Holy Spirit who now gets the opportunity to be a beacon of hope, to be an invitation to others to come and experience all that God has done. Who wants to run? It's okay. I'm going to get how about 60 seconds. I'm going to pray. And if you want to go to your car or cover up, We'll be all eyes closed so no one will judge anything and we're all safe. I'm going to pray and ask God to take this rain away for the next however many minutes we need. Uh, God, we love you and, and you are worth uh, sitting in the rain, but God, we also know that you rule over the rain and we ask that right now you would just 
take this water away. Uh, We pray that you would rain it on the earth when it is needed, but that in your grace and mercy, you would just enable us to sit and sit under your word and hear from you in this moment. Uh, And we know that you are good. We know that you're powerful. And so we just give it to you and ask that you would work. Amen. Amen. When I um, when I was a young Christian, uh, the idea of not so much free speech, but just speech that glorifies God was an area where there was significant need for transformation. Uh, I would call uh, not the spiritual gift, but I had the gift of cutting you in half. Um, so in high school, like I had a reputation where, you know, it's, it's part of banter. Like people just like to make fun of each other. But I just had this ability to take it from here to here and end a conversation in one line. And I was esteemed for this as a teenager. This was a credibility marker for me growing up. And I'd kind of started following Jesus and there was a, a bit of me that knew this wasn't great but I also enjoyed the accolade that went with it. There was almost like a fear that that I instilled in people and it gave me a safety socially. And yet I came to God's word and I remember being on a youth camp and somebody opened up Ephesians 4.29 on that youth camp and called us to have speech that honoured God. I've still got this verse memorised from when I was a teenager. This is the NIV 84 translation, so just work (laughs) with me and we'll, we'll open the ESV in a sec. But it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Small plug for memory verses. I learned that as a 15-year-old and it's still stuck in there. I can't get it out. But I had a group of mates and and we were kind of all had become Christians as 14-year-olds and all recognized that following Jesus with our speech meant that we should look different in this. And so our habit became, as we were at school, We'd hear somebody make fun of someone else or gossip about someone else or, you know, whatever it might be, or they'd, we'd be mucking around and someone would make that pointed barbed joke that would cut someone down. And as soon as we did it, all of the others would jump up and say, do not let anyone hold some talk about it. I only was helpful for God building others up. Couldn't the that may benefit those who listen. <laughs> At a speed where you could barely like know what they were saying, but you knew that they were quoting a Bible verse that was supposed to let you know that you'd done the wrong thing. So it kind of served its purpose. And look, there's still some growth for me, but there was this process by which God had to help me take that bit of me that was like ingrained. It was behavioral. It was part of how I worked. It was even something I enjoyed and take that away. That's the first part of that verse. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Get rid of that. But it doesn't stop there. This is what I'm talking about when I'm saying God doesn't call you in your speech to fences to sit within. This whole series hopefully isn't making you feel like, all right, now I know how to gently navigate life in this age because that's not what God calls you to. In this series, I hope you are hearing that the power of the gospel, the freedom of the gospel is that you can walk boldly in obedience to God in any and every circumstance. You can navigate these complex issues knowing that God is sovereign and in his grace, he empowers you to walk. And and in this verse in Ephesians 29, it says, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But what's the alternative? What is helpful for building others up? Don't just avoid unwholesome, but actually Aim for something. Aim that people would be edified and built up by the conversation, by the speech that comes out of your mouth, that it would benefit them, that the result of conversations would not be people nervously waiting to be cut down by my kind of clever, witty comments, but that they would walk away encouraged, valued, built up, strengthened, feeling stronger as a result. So the gospel calls us to be people whose hearts are so shaped that our mouth overflows with a new kind of speech. 
We are not to be those who walk into the conversation right now around free speech, like everyone else, fearful of our rights. The gospel doesn't want us to be in the public sphere going, oh, it's not fair that I can't say what I believe. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that your eternal security is sure, unshakable. The gospel is that God is present in your life by the Holy Spirit immovably in every circumstance. The gospel is that God will lead you and teach you and equip you for any and every moment and conversation. That doesn't mean you won't fumble at points, but you can step forward trusting his faithfulness with a heart that longs for his glory more than your safety. And then you're in a position to speak in a way that builds others up and benefits those who listen. We don't actually have the control to stop people getting offended. I was reading some of the articles this week around Israel Folau and J.K. Rowling, and some of the critiques were laughable. Not because people weren't actually offended, but because their offense wasn't actually tied to a logical kind of action consequence thing. It was, this was a sensitive point for them, and it didn't matter how it was said or what was said, there was offense ready to be felt. And now we can't just dismiss and go toughen up. That's not the gospel either but we actually don't have control over that. If we preach the gospel, we we almost have to assume some people are going to be offended. We're not trying to offend them, but if the message is you have rebelled against God and there's consequences for that and only by his grace can you find forgiveness and hope, if they're paying attention, they'll be offended. You're telling them they deserve judgment. You can't actually control. And so we need to let go of that as a metric through which we approach the idea of speech and interaction in the public sphere with your friends, with your family, with your neighbors who don't know Jesus. If you aim for no offense, you've already stepped away from the gospel. In Christ, you are free in how you speak, but that doesn't mean there won't be cost. We can actually step in and wear the cost that comes with being faithful to the call of Scripture. I hope and pray none of you ends up in jail because of what I think are ridiculous free speech laws here in Victoria. But if you do, that might be a cost that you're called to pay in order to remain faithful to the God who saved you. But the question you need to be willing to ask because you'll answer to God, not the government, is, is my heart doing this to be offensive, to be correct, or out of love for God? We need to question our motives and ask, is this speech just correct, or is this speech glorifying to God? Is this speech driven by an understanding that it is only by His grace to me that I can in any way know what is true, let alone speak what is true? I want to read to you the ESV version, the City on Hill Sanctified version of the Bible from Ephesians 4.29. Gives us a great phrase which is better than free when it comes to thinking through what kind of speech we're aiming at. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, and here's the key bit, that it may give grace to those who hear that it may give grace. That's the agenda for your speech. That the result of people hearing you speak, the result of people being in conversation with you is that they would receive grace. 
that they would encounter the unmerited kindness and favor of the God of heaven because of the words that come out of your mouth. Like, doesn't that raise the bar? It's not just about being legal and ticking a box, but my heart's desire, God's desire for you is that when you speak, people would encounter him. That's what grace giving speech is. Like practically, this looks like speaking the gospel. That's the starting point for anyone to encounter the grace of God is to hear the message that he has sent his son to take the punishment that we deserve. We must be bold in that because without Jesus, no one receives the grace of God. Jesus is the grace of God. We must not back away from the heat of this moment for fear of cost to us. We must hear God's word and speak grace. Look at those who hate and are angry that we would speak this message, longing that they would receive this grace. Not longing that we would be correct and they would lose their rights, but longing that they would receive the grace that we have received. That's what it looks like to give grace. I'm a pastor and what that means is uh, the temptations for me when it comes to speech might be different to you. But one for me is I have people come to me all the time to share what's going on in their life. I have people share their sins. I have people share struggles. I have people share temptations. I have people, and now I'm not sticking them on Facebook or anything like that. But, you know, as Christians, sometimes we get that temptation when you hear about something that's going on, because I'm just going to chat with someone else in the church body so that together we can carry this. But deep down, what you mean is, isn't this interesting? I'm going to talk to someone about this. And we start to gossip about it. And like, we would never admit that that's what we're doing, but suddenly we haven't talked to God about this issue that they're having, but we've told a few people. And we enjoy that kind of information. We enjoy undermining that trust. See, for me, it used to be about just mocking you out and out. That used to be my heart. Uh, But now the way that the devil will tempt me is I'm carrying personal information, which is power. And so I share that with people instead of taking that to God. Now, I don't know what your temptation here is, but again, you've got to ask the question, when it comes to being repenting and being reformed in the likeness of Christ, what does it look like for your speech to give more grace? For me, repentance looks like praying sooner. Because when I pray with those things that are brought, one, I'm being faithful to my call as a pastor and as a brother in Christ and all those different things. But secondly, I give grace because I entrust their issue to God and he is the giver of grace. Secondly, I receive grace because in sharing their issue with God, I'm reminded that the God in heaven listens, cares, answers, and engages. It's a grace transaction straight away. To reach for prayer often and quickly and even publicly is grace-giving speech. To reach for moments of confession is grace-giving speech. Confessing, the book of James calls us to confess sins to one another, to pray for one another that we might be healed and restored. Confession is grace-giving because it does two things. It declares to everyone here that I don't need to put on a show anymore, that I can be honest about who I am because I trust that God is sufficient for me in Jesus, and that gives grace because it declares the gospel. When you confess sin, it gets grace. Because God's word promises that when we confess, he's faithful and just to give us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we can preach the gospel, we can pray, we can confess, we can encourage. Encourage is something that we just don't do. We just don't. Australian culture does not know how to encourage. When you speak affirmation to someone, have you noticed the awkward giggles? 
of the person who's receiving it or the people who are standing around observing it or the way you've got to quickly take a step sideways and kind of make it a, a backhanded compliment. Like look at even me and Louie joking around before about, you know, who's preaching and stuff like that. Like there's genuine love here and respect, but there is this awkwardness that we find when it comes to affirming someone out and out, but that's grace giving. That's life giving. That's speaking God's perspective on someone who values this person as a precious son or daughter or as a lost son or daughter in need of grace. So actually speak life into someone and be specific and intentional to say, hey, I noticed when you did this thing and this is how that fed me as opposed to just you're really nice. Like to actually speak life and observe significance in someone is grace giving to them and is fulfillment of what God calls us to in Ephesians 4. It is that new speech that he's called us into. And lastly, just speaking wisdom into one another. I love the phrase that Louis used just before about having significant conversations or conversations of significance. Like as the body of Christ, and I shouldn't assume that you're all following Jesus, but if you are, God has gathered you with this group of people so that you get through this season before he calls you to eternity, flourishing, filled with joy in him, delighting in his presence, navigating all the ups and downs and the craziness of law changes and life changes and circumstances. And what he does is fill this group of people, this community with everything that you need in order to do that life. And so have conversations with, another, with one another about the things that matter. Speak boldly the wisdom that God has shown you in his word and in the experiences that you've walked through. Speak of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Speak about how he's called you out of darkness. I had a great conversation with someone I just met a second ago and hearing some of the journey that's been there and the way God's worked and that feeds me and fuels me and equips me with wisdom for the things that I will navigate in life. As followers of Jesus, let's not be the people who just talk about the weather only. We're allowed to talk about the weather, but let's aim higher. Let's give the grace of what God has done in us so that others may encounter him and be equipped for life. They may have the wisdom to walk. Lastly, if we're going to give grace, we've got to have grace. You cannot give in your speech something you have not received. One of the wonders of the gospel, one of the things that anchors me in following Jesus more than anything else is that every time God says, I want you to do something, I want your speech to be this, I want you to sacrifice, I want you to be generous, whatever it is, whenever God calls you to do something, it's always as a means of giving the grace that you have already received. And so when there is a call to do something that feels like a stretch or a change, that's always a call to come back to receive the grace that he has provided in his son. If you would be a community that gives grace in your speech, that is equipped in this moment to stand firm with grace and truth, boldly, lovingly, humbly, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. If you want a healthy heart, the only thing that changes the heart is the spirit. If you want the spirit, the only one who gives the spirit is Jesus. You are brought back to the start point, what it was to begin, to be welcomed as you are in all your weakness and failure, loved unconditionally, and have God say, I will do a work to make you more like Jesus.
The call for this morning is not for you to go home and just think about how can I do speech better. The call is to come back to the wonder that God sent his son for you, that God loves you more than you have fully comprehended, and to let that transform who you are and the speech will follow. It will overflow. Like take those practical suggestions, pray together, encourage one another. There's some wisdom there to take and walk with. But if you just take those as things to do, in a week you will have forgotten and you'll be here talking about a different issue and nothing will have changed. That's not what God has purchased you for. That's not what God has designed you for. That's not the gift that God offers to you in Jesus. What he offers is a heart that is released from the fear, that is released from all the insecurity that makes us operate in ways that are self-interested instead of God-interested. And the wonder of Jesus is that in him you find peace and security that releases you to love and serve and give the grace that you've received. That is my prayer for you, that this moment, this morning, God would fill you with grace afresh so that grace would overflow for his glory and for your joy. So I'm going to ask him to do that. Father, we just want to begin by confessing. For me personally, I know that my heart is quick to seek my own glory, to use my speech in ways that build myself up but can do damage to others. Father, you know our hearts. You know the bits of us where we are seeking glory that is our own. You know the ways that we have failed to acknowledge you, that we have failed to seek you first. And so we want to ask for your forgiveness. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we find the forgiveness that we need. We thank you for his death in our place, his victorious resurrection. We thank you that now from the throne he has poured out the spirit and that you have promised you are working in us. You will bring to completion the work you've begun. And so we ask that you'll continue to shift our hearts to love you as you deserve, to look at the world the way that you do, to see it in its lostness and long to share the message of grace and hope that is only found in Jesus. Father, we pray for this church that you would fill mouths with grace that every conversation would be life-giving and grace-giving, that ultimately the result of encountering the people of this church would be that others see you. Whether that's conversations here over morning tea, whether that's in the shopping center or school drop-off, wherever it is, God, use our words so that people might see you reveal yourself in our words. Grow your kingdom. Even in those little innocuous moments, God, fill our hearts with you so that our mouths will be full as well. We pray it for your glory and expectantly in our risen Saviour's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.